You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. There is no question we are living in a data-driven world, especially when it comes to the world of sport. Just look at the influence analytics has had on virtually every single sport, maybe most notably in the game of baseball. Baseball has always been a numbers game, right? From the very beginning, there's no sport that is collected, monitored, and treasured their numbers like the sport of baseball. But if we look at European soccer, if we look at rugby, if we look what's happening in the world of cycling and the endurance sports, especially as we push human performance to its absolute limit, the amount of testing and the amount of information we're collecting has gone to the stratosphere. And in large part because new technology is allowing us to test and evaluate our athletes like we've never been able to before. For the most part, all of the data is being used to help guide and direct performance and athlete development, but it's also being used to help reduce the risk of injury. At the younger levels of sport, however, it is being used to differentiate and evaluate talent and possibly even potential, which is reason for great concern because even as testing stands right now, it is very, very poor at predicting current in-sport performance, leave alone future sport performance. Take, for example, one of the highest profile player evaluations on the planet, the NFL Combine. It has been poked and prodded and picked apart for years by scientists, and they have all come to the same conclusion. It has very little value in predicting future in-game performance in the NFL. The combine testing is virtually irrelevant when it comes to predicting a player's ability to play the game. The only notable exception here might be the sprint testing for the running backs, which does seem to correlate to some future success at that particular position. Technology has opened the floodgates of possibility in the world of athlete testing and evaluation. You can now collect hundreds, even thousands of data points almost instantly in real time in the sports setting. But how much of that data and information is actually useful? My guess, only a very small percentage. The key to effectively evaluating and testing your athletes lays within how well you can apply the data and information you gain from the testing. If you can't apply it in the real world of sport, I mean, if it doesn't have meaning in the trenches of practice or competition, what good is it? When you're considering a testing protocol for your athletes or your teams or your organization, there are some fundamental questions you should ask yourself before you begin. First, when should you test? This decision is very important because it will also guide when you retest your athletes. Then you have to ask, what should you test? This might be the most important question of all because if the testing isn't relevant, I'm gonna suggest don't do it. Then once you have your data, you need to ask yourself, how are you going to apply that data? If you can't answer that question, you might wanna rethink your testing protocols. And maybe most important, How should you present the testing information to your athletes? This is a critical question and something that's caused major issues in the world of sport. 
And we're going to talk about each one of these questions and much more today as we're joined by Dr. Carmen Felice, founder and director of the Performance Lab in Toronto, Canada. Carm's worked at the highest levels of sport, treating, evaluating, and guiding athletes and organizations in the areas of health and performance. He has a reputation for his superior diagnostic capabilities, and he and his team are on the cutting edge of athlete assessment and testing for both rehabilitation and performance. So today, we're crunching the data, we're asking the hard questions, and we're going to get some answers. What should your athlete testing look like, and what should you do with the data? Let's find out. I'm very excited to be joined by my good friend, Dr. Carmen Felice, the founder and director of the Performance Lab in Toronto. Carm, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really excited for this conversation. Anytime, man. My pleasure. Well, we've been talking a lot on the show about talent and talent ID and how abysmally terrible we are in that realm of the sport performance world. And it is a challenging thing because there's so many parameters out there that need to be considered when you're trying to not just identify talent right now, but also predict talent moving forward. So many variables, it's almost crystal ball stuff, but that's kind of your wheelhouse and you guys have worked long and hard. Tell us a little bit about the, the performance lab and how you came into this world. Yeah, so uh, Performance Lab is about 13 years old now. Um, I was originally a chiropractor, I still am a chiropractor. Went to school in LA and then uh, was really introduced to like the high level sports world out there. And it's always been my passion. So it was a really good uh, kind of segue into that world, especially like living in California where there's so much sport and there's so many people and the, and the tech world is there and the whole was there. So it was just like this massive like undertaking of people. And it just kind of like really suited me. And uh, from there, it was just like about finding my way. It was just like really interesting to see like how Silicon Valley was just like kind of pressing the world at the time when I was there, into like the early 2000s. And it was kind of like, it was insightful and inspiring to say like, how do we take that, what they're doing in the tech world? And then how do we use that tech and like transfer it into sport, into something that I love? Like I was always the guy who was in class was just like, why are we doing these orthopedic tests? Where's the rationale behind it? And like, if we really do a test, does it really signify what you're saying it does? And, and if not, then why are we using it and why are we wasting time with this? Uh, so then there had to be a better way with like, from my perspective, there's so much tech available. So like, why aren't we using tech to like really diagnose? And I think I've mentioned this before, like my mentor growing up was my medical doctor. And uh, he was like my mentor since I was like five. And so the thing he drilled in me over and over again since I was like five was it's all about the diagnosis. And that still has rung true in my head. So for me, whether I'm dealing with an athlete in terms of like an injury or whether I'm dealing with like a talent identification process, it's how do we diagnose to the nth degree? Because if we can diagnose to that nth degree, then it makes the answer, the solution so much simpler and so much more delicate. Yeah, I know, Carm. I love the whole premise of diagnose, diagnose, diagnose. Because let's face it, sport performance is really all about problem solving and if you're good at problem solving i think you can really really help athletes uh, achieve their potential whatever that might be we really don't know but you're right one thing that's really changed the sporting landscape is just the availability of tech you know we talked about this in our series last year called the crush brain game the technology that's now allowing us to map 
you know, monitor and even train the brain real time has opened up windows of opportunity that we've just never had in the history of sport. And I do believe, you know, and working with you has been a real treat in your team. Um, the things we're seeing in evaluating and assessing athletic ability is right there as well. We're now opening windows of opportunity in the world of sport. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Like, I think like, so the performance lab, like our initial goal was to like recreate any movement in sport at high speed. That was our name. And for us, it was just like, when I looked at athletes and, and, and why we were diagnosing them in terms of the complicated injuries in a room like I'm in right now, in a little treatment room that's 10 by 10, it just didn't make sense to me. So to me, like the, I opened up the lab in Toronto for two reasons. One was to kind of push the, the game of sport in Canada. It was kind of like my passion, especially like living in the States. And two was just to recreate like movement at high speed and to be able to diagnose at high speed. If somebody's going at high speed on ice, we should be able and having like pain at, at going at high speed. Then it makes sense to be able to recreate that movement and diagnose them at that at that time. And so now the world's kind of changed. 13 years later, we're we're we feel like we've locked that in. We have the kinematic stuff down and we're moving into the world you're talking about now, which is just like the awareness stuff. How can we kind of tap into an athlete's brain and to an athlete's awareness of themselves, of the spatial awareness? And how does that like, and then in terms of like then bringing in some of the, like the vision stuff, which has been done for a long time, but also some of like the, the mental components of the game, how do they handle stress? And for us, we want to be able to kind of look at the kinematics under stress. And that's kind of what we're working on now that you and I have chatted about a little bit. Yeah, the ability to evaluate players in the real live sports setting is an absolute game changer. But not just that, Carm. The fact that we can actually get meaningful data now, this is what's really, really exciting. And I'm glad to have you on today to talk about this. Before we get to all that, though, let's talk about sort of uh, the Pandora's box that this whole uh, testing and player evaluation world has created, not just from a talent ID uh, perspective, but also from a distraction uh, perspective as well. Because we have seen, I have personally seen with my athletes, how some of those testing numbers have just derailed our athletes. And, you know, whether it's a, a major um, event like a combine for the NFL or Major League Baseball or the entry draft for the NHL and some of the testing the NBA guys are doing now, especially in the D leagues and even at the collegiate level, uh, those numbers can be very distracting for players if they're not presented properly, but also calm. Some of the wearables now, the data is always right there. It never stops and it can be a huge distraction for an athlete, but can also send them down a very dangerous path as well. We've seen it real time. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I think, uh, you know, you have this this old world versus new world and in terms of just like old school uh, uh, scouting and, and kind of what that represents versus this whole new world of tech and data. And then I think what really needs to kind of the, for us, we need to define is what are we trying to, to evaluate? What metrics make sense? What metrics actually look at like things that are, that are tangible and that we can work with and that actually present something of value for that athlete. So what can we actually do with, with the data we're collecting? And then what, what do they actually mean? Because if we're collecting data just for the sake of collecting data because we think it's cool and it's insightful, uh, it's very different than saying that it's actually like actionable and something that actually means something. And I think right now, the biggest name of the game is, is like, how do we define athleticism? Because uh, there's so many athletes that, the, that aren't in that world that I think we can look at a, a lot of athletes 
that you know don't look like don't look the part, don't pass the eye test, but are absolutely phenomenal athletes. And they would fail most of the combine tests, and many of them have failed most of the combine tests, but they still become these superstar athletes. And I think it's just us as a as an industry we've we've failed in terms of being able to define what makes an athlete. And I think that's where our world is going to get really fun in the next couple of world and the next couple of years to, for us to be able to really define and hone in on what makes an athlete an athlete. Yeah, I love that concept. We're talking with Dr. Carmen Felice, the founder and director of the Performance Lab in Toronto. You can check out their great stuff at myperformancelab.com. Great information there if you want to check in. Hey, that is music to my ears. You know, we talked with Dr. Joe Baker, who kind of steered our whole series on talent and talent ID. And one thing that's sure that, that we know in the entire uh, sporting landscape is there's no consensus on exactly what talent is, right? And so this really resonates with me because you're right. There is really no uh, consensus on what athleticism is. And maybe that paradigm changes from sport to sport, position to position. Uh, not only that, but as an athlete develops and progresses, it's a moving target, perhaps. Yeah, 100 percent. Like I've had like I've had the benefit of like uh, chatting with a lot of the, the, the great minds in, in the industry and, and it's industry. The two things that stick to my uh, stick out for me right now are, you know, I had a discussion with a very good friend of mine who, who ran a bunch of professional teams in different like in hockey and basketball. And uh, he was working with a hockey organization. He said that we collected over 100,000 data points uh, and we used eight. And it's just like, then why collect the other 999,000 and change? It's like, it doesn't make sense. And, 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 you know, and, and talking to another general who was from IAX, he was just like, well, you know, if, if we're here, there's X amount of us in this room. He says that, you know, everybody's going to collect different things based on their own internal biases. And so, like, we have to be very careful as, quote, unquote, like, scientists to, like, really not make our own biases involved in the process. Because we can collect so much data in the process now because the tech is so good and it's so portable and it's so easy. that we're, I think we're it's the process where we're collecting a bunch of data. And what I see is the industry is collecting so much data. One, they don't know what to do with the data. Two, they don't action it. So, to me, it's just, like, the word applied really needs to be put into the support science world. It needs to be able to be applied. If it's not applied, it's useless. And why are we doing something that's useless? It's inefficient. And so to me, it's just like, when we collect for us in terms of like an organization, the only data we collect is something that we can apply. If we don't know how to apply it, we're working on, on learning how to. And if we know we're not gonna use the data, then it's a waste of our time to be able to do it unless we see a certain pattern or framework that we can internally like work on in the background. But what for us, like there needs to be some sort of like tangible, actionable light. In. It needs to mean something and we need to be able to do something with it. Yeah, it makes so much sense. I applied physiology, right? And here's the cool thing. Yeah. You're right. This is a very, very exciting time in sport, I believe, because we have such a great handle on the physical side. Even we're getting there on the neurological side. We know how yep. to stress and influence changes in the body. But this whole idea, getting back to the one of the original points in the conversation of diagnosing an issue, really understanding that problem so we can set a course in a direction is important. And then collecting the data that's meaningful. I have been involved in yep. testing forever, Carm. And honestly, you know, we test, we have the data, two days later, it's irrelevant. You know, we get an athlete in and we find that, hey, this guy might have great vertical jump power, but listen, he can't even run backwards for crying out loud. So, you know, regardless of all that data, um, there, there's, there, there's a, a, a platitude of things that 
need to be addressed in order to harness performance. But once you get into a system and once you've got athletes sort of on the road of development and performance, this data and the right data points can be invaluable, man. 100%. 100%. Like for us, like the collection of, of data is, is kind of our mainstay. Like for, for us to be able to like really collect data and then use it as a baseline. So so for, first and foremost, we use it as a baseline. Return to, return to injury becomes a lot easier for us because all of a sudden we have baseline data. So if they're not meeting their marks, we have something to compare it to. It also becomes something quantifiable. So now all of a sudden we have something that we can track through an athlete's years with us and be able to like literally see how they change over time and then make markings to say like, hey, our projection for this athlete is here and here's our reasoning and our logic behind it. And then, uh, as you said, to be able to kind of pick up things and nuances to be able to diagnose. I think our, you know, I'm proud to kind of say like we get some pretty remarkable results here. And a lot of our results are based on the fact that we diagnose to the nth degree. And, and because we can do so, we can hone in on the problem so specifically and so targeted that it, we're not dealing with the minutia around it. We're not making inferences or guesses to kind of like, what do we think it means? We're just going in with a laser focus, working on that one or two things and, and then the problem is resolved. And in high level sports, like you've worked with professional athletes as much as I have, working at that level, that 1% change is extraordinary it's not like you know i'm on the court and and because you don't want to see me on the court that one percent doesn't matter but like at that level that one percent changes is significant yeah we're looking at every little fraction of performance for sure you know the one thing i do like carmen uh, with your group there is you guys have worked in a multitude of sports and i really do believe see one thing i believe that served me well over the years you know even just being an athlete growing up i was pretty good at everything Um, but I didn't have that mindset. It's one of the things I really do respect about elite athletes, their ability to hone in and stick with one sport and just go to the nth degree to, to tap into every bit of potential they have in that one sport. You know, when I was a kid, uh, by the time baseball season was over, I was ready for football. By the time football was over, I was ready for hockey. And that's how my mind works. It has kind of served me well as a performance guy, though, because I've got this incredible understanding of all of these different sports now, and it's really, really served me well. I think you guys, if I were to ask you, would would, would that hold true? You guys have tested elite tennis players, pro hockey players, pro baseball players, football, Olympians. You guys have testing data from a multitude of sports at the highest level. That must help guide your decision as to what's important in the various sports. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think for us, it goes into two things. One is, is it allows us, because we're not specific to one sport, it allows us not to have bias about the sport. So when we deal with like, you know, it's interesting when I, I was director of sports science for Tennis Canada for a while. And one of the first questions I got asked is, you're not a tennis guy. And I said, amazing. And that plays to my advantage because I'm not going in to tennis with the thought process of I know tennis. I don't want to, I don't want to execute like that. I want to execute like a, like, like something like a scientist, which is, I don't want a bias behind it. I want to be able to go in and look at it subjectively and objectively and say, you know what, these are my thoughts without having, you know, 20, 30 years of, of tennis experience behind me that says like, this is the quote unquote way to do it. Right. And for me, my team, the way we go about doing it is we, we have, we've dealt with like, I think every sport, uh, I think we've dealt with every sport at this point at the professional level. And the way we go about doing it is when we enter a new sport, 
uh, throughout the years, what we do is we spend months actually like researching sport. We pull every study, we go through it, and me and my team kind of like processes and studies in terms of like what we think is significant, what we don't, we do internal testing. So there's months and months of processing that like for us happens on the back end for us to feel comfortable to execute the sport. And then when we like to work with the, the technical people within the sport, so we have contacts within every every industry, every sport we work with to kind of get more of the technical component. We work with the kinematics, we work with the, the S&C stuff, the, the therapy side, and we try not to go through the actual like technique we use and use those specialists for that. But there's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes for us to be able to go into a sport where we feel comfortable to say like, okay, it's time for us to be able to like pull the trigger we can execute at this point. Yeah, no, and I love that, Carm. That's just a great, great approach because again, there are so many variables. And ultimately at the end of the day, our side of the sport is to build the wherewithal to make an athlete more coachable and more successful in the trenches, right? So so I love that perspective. Hey, let me ask you this. So we test for performance, right? And typically that's sort of the mindset. Hey man, let's test to evaluate where our athletes are at so we can program and help them improve performance. But there's also the injury side, right? And one of the things that I think is, is really gaining traction and rightfully so, is the idea of not just testing for performance, but trying to identify troubled areas where there might be risk of injury and mitigating that. For me, that's maybe uh, more important than anything else. 100%, like it's, it's the same for us. I think we, we definitely like are a lot on the same page on everything. Uh, when we get an athlete in, a lot of times for us, we, we explain to them, it's a spectrum. Whether we're dealing with, you know, like my, you know, grandmother or whether we're dealing with a little kid it's a spectrum on every on every front so when we deal with an athlete coming in we do get a massive intake in terms of just like we want to know their injuries and everything that they've had in the past but then from there the conversation slightly changes our intake form then is like ubiquitous in the sense that we're looking to see what the athlete is made of and then we're looking to see like okay what are the first thing we look at injury risk potentials like, wh wh where do we see gaps? Where do we see flaws? Where do we see things that we need to kind of like uh, a closer look at? Once we have those established, then we look at performance parameters. So when we get an athlete in and they say, well, we're looking to make sure like I want to gain below on my fastball or I want to like skate faster. Uh, for us, it's just like, that's amazing. And we will definitely take a look at that. But we're also going to take a look at like everything from the, the entire spectrum, which is we want to look at like where we see potential like injury issues. So like where we see you being able to kind of like gain, gain power, gain strength or gain below. Yeah. And I love it. And here's a question for you. And this is why I love talking to you, Carm, because you've had sort of that hands-on clinical experience with athletes, right? The range of motion, the orthopedic testing, you've done that stuff. You've seen it. You've been part of it, but now you're also tapping into the tech side. Um, a combination of those is maybe the best formula. hundred percent. So like I'm still a clinician, like I, I'm a chiro by trade. I do a lot of like performance type work. Uh, I'm not a chiro in the sense that I don't independently adjust and all that. But at the same time, I do a lot of therapy. Um, I was, you know, uh, able to work with a lot of the great therapists in the U.S. and L.A. and all the rest of it. So that was uh, really beneficial for me. And at the and at this at the at the essence, I'm still a therapist. I still treat. I'm in the treatment room right now. So usually when I get an athlete and there's always a component, if I can, of like hands-on like evaluation, I still use a curated list of orthopedic exams that we've done a lot of work on to kind of show that they, they actually like mean what they say. Uh, so in an ideal world, uh, you know, we just had a, a couple of NHL guys kind of walk through the door right now. Uh, they come in, we've done all their like testing, 3D testing, on-ice testing, force play testing, we've done all that stuff. 
but I still have them on the table and I'm still kind of like doing some other like ortho assessments to make sure that everything's in line with where I want it to be. Yeah, I love that title you guys have there, that performance therapist title. That's a really, really sexy thing. And I dig it, man. I understand that. And I, I think that's a, a great trend that we'll see in the industry. I think that's one of those things that might just steer the industry, right? 100%. I'm not, I can't take credit for that. It's actually like, uh, so you know that I worked at a place that I adore called the P3 of Peak Performance yeah. Project in Santa Barbara. Um, so Marcus is a good friend of mine. And uh, when I was working at P3, uh, Marcus was just like, Carm, I don't like you calling yourself a Cairo any more than that. And, uh, and, uh, said, you should, you should like, you're really like focused on the performance stuff and months and months happened. And I was working at P3 and he, and he says, I got it. <clears throat> and I'm like, what's that Marcus? He's just like, I got it. You need to call yourself a performance therapist. And I kind of thought about it. I'm just like, you know what? I like it. Yeah. And, I, and ever since Marcus and I had the conversation, I, uh, I, I, I called myself a performance therapist. Yeah. yeah. No, I like it. And it resonates, you know, for for a guy like me, that really, really resonates. And rightfully so. And the P3 guys do some great work over there too, man, right? Oh, they do amazing work. I love those guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, Carm, let's get to this. Uh, man, we could talk for hours here. So I'm going to try to be selective on how I uh, rob your time here. But... I do want to talk about the numbers game. Um, there's been great uh, research out of the uh, European Rugby Union, for example, looking at their young players, and they actually ran a test, like a, an actual uh, legitimate study looking at uh, the, I don't want to say dangers, maybe the ramifications of presenting data, testing data directly to their players. So what they did is they took a group of their players, and they gave them all the numbers that they that they tested. And then they took another group and they didn't really give them the numbers. They just sort of gave them suggestions as to how to go about improving their performance. And it was a marked difference. The way the athletes um, reacted to the testing data when they had those numbers really changed their perception of one, where they're at, two, what they're able to do, and three, where they should put their efforts in terms of performance. It really, really, um, I think the summary was it took away from the actual in-game performance because the players got so transfixed or fixated on the particular numbers. And that's what they were trying to improve rather than becoming a well-rounded rugby player. Make sense from your world? Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. And when we present to our findings to athletes, we present different things to different uh, parties within the within the organization so if we're dealing with the athlete it's one thing and we usually like it's always positive it's always like we don't want the athlete fixated uh, a lot of athletes tend to be obsessive uh, they're so good because they're obsessive at the same time we don't want them looking at them focusing on this one one number or how do i get better at this one number because we don't think it's 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 valuable for them we want to just say hey look here's what we found in, in just generic terms and this is what we're focusing on and so here's here's our focus and it's you're not you don't need to worry about all the numbers the numbers can be for your coaches or for your staff but for us and our relationship is, is here's what you need to know these are the three points you need to know that's all you need to know and uh let's get to work and and that's what it is and we always try to make it as not like hey this is where you're going wrong or this is bad but here's the value at here's where we see uh uh somewhere where you can grow and that's usually the perspective we try to always put on an athlete because like it's our job to make them better and it's our job to kind of make them feel like they have room to grow and also like not make them feel bad about themselves it, it, it's something where we're not trying to like say hey you're 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 bad you're you're not doing well enough or 
um, you need to do better. It's more on here's where we see growth potential and here's the growth potential we think we can help you with. On the flip side, when it comes to like their coaches and stuff, they usually want the numbers and stuff. And so we'll go through the numbers and, and kind of go through what the data means and the logistics behind it. Yeah, it makes sense. And I love that, man. Getting that direction based on testing data, if it's presented properly, uh, can be so empowering for an athlete as well. Even the elite guys who are are really in a good place, but for athletes who are struggling or sort of on the bubble of their career, just kind of breaking through, it can be really, really powerful in terms of, you know, just the overall attitude of, you know, self-control. They do have some control over their destiny and getting that direction, man, can be really powerful. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's powerful stuff. And at the same time, uh, you know, with great power comes, you know, great responsibility. Yeah. You don't want to necessarily throw that at them and, and have them deal with it. Because you could, as much as you can help the athlete, you can also cripple the athlete. And we've seen it where an athlete gets a hold of the, the, the data and it's like, it's, it's a, it's a mind game for them in terms of just like being able to overcome it. Uh, so you don't want to like damage the athlete either. You have to be very, very careful. <laughs> At the end of the day, they're your client and you have to treat them in a way where it's always a progression, a positive progression, and you don't want to steer them wrong where you're kind of like negatively impacting them. And you're always trying to prove their performance, not to deter it. Yeah, I found myself uh, over the years, especially this last decade, as the technology just booms, really trying to protect my players and my athletes yeah. um, from the numbers. And just a quick little yeah. story here that I think I might have shared with you before, but um, you know, so we had we were we were approached by um, uh, a wearable technology that monitored sleep. And it, I was really intrigued by this because we do sleep logs, periodic sleep logs with our athletes because we like them to be aware, our athletes to be aware of sleep hygiene and sleep health and being able to self-evaluate and troubleshoot in that world. But here's what happened, Carm. Um, see if this makes sense to you. We got these uh, wearables and every morning they would wake up and there's tons of them out there now. You, they would get a number, a readiness number. And it could be good, but it turned out to be it turned out to be a real problem because if that number was low for whatever reason, and again, questioning the accuracy of some of these wearables in terms of the actual ability to perform on any given day, uh, if the number was low, the athletes would have anxiety and would be stressed out and their day would be done before they even got started. And that was the turning point for me. I, I shut all that stuff down and, and I'm sure you've seen things like that, but that was sort of my personal experience that kind of put me over the top saying, boy, boy, we've really got to protect our athletes from numbers or at least teach them how to deal with them, I guess. Yeah, 100%. Like when I was with Tennis Canada, uh, we were testing out a product and, uh, and the athlete, it was very similar. Like the athlete would use it in the morning time and then they would give him a readiness score and it would give him a color. Yeah, like a green, red, uh, like flashlight kind of color uh, in terms of just like that. And uh, for me, when I talked to the tech company, it was really simple. It was just like, hey, look, like I don't want the athlete seeing anything. I want us to see everything on yeah. the back end. And then we'll kind of like decipher and like go through with the athlete. But when it comes to the athlete, I want them waking up and like ready to go and not seeing the data. So they do the, the test and then the test is done. It's just like amazing. The test is done. A plus, move on. And then the data would come to us on the back end. 
and we will look at it and then be able to decipher, okay, we need to shut the athlete down. We need to kind of like work with the athlete or we need to do X, Y, Z. But I'm with you. Like when it comes to like, I'm very, very careful about what is presented to the athlete and how it's presented. Because uh, both of those factors can have such a huge impact, both positively and negatively. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, Carm, wrapping it up here, when we look at testing and collecting data, I think maybe the three big questions, if we we're talking to organizations, to coaches, athletes, um, even parents who watch the show and listen to the show, um, would this be a great sort of three-step model? Well, just let me know your opinion of this if we're setting out. First question is maybe... Uh, when to test, very important. Uh, two, yep. then maybe uh, what what do we actually need to test? Let's talk about that. And then three, um, what do you do with those numbers? We kind of just talked about it and how to present those numbers. Those might be the four. For me, is that sort of a really strong checklist? Is there anything else you'd add, subtract, or change in that checklist? No, I think that pretty much hits all the all of them. Uh, yeah, I think that hits everything. I think the when is really important. I think a lot of people miss that. I think, you know, like we routinely test our athletes, but if we don't have the opportunity to, then we need to make sure that we take into account what part of the season they're in and then how their body's affected by that for sure. Uh, and definitely like we, we spend a lot of time as a group in here debating and changing in terms of what we're testing and how we're testing. And we're always refining our techniques and making sure that they're on, on art what we want them to be. And then we have internal discussions all the time in terms of like uh, what we're testing. And that's a constant progression of change for us. Like we, you know, we sit down on a weekly basis as a team and go over things in terms of just like what we're adding and subtracting just because we find that some things are not working or some things are working that we, we want to find out more. And uh, so it's a never, a, it's an evolution for us. And just like we're trying to grow as much as the industry does. Carm, we know that, as we mentioned earlier, some of the major combine tests, they're so generic in general. And we do know now, looked at correlated data, that they really don't predict future performance, in-sport performance. They might give us a snapshot of where an athlete is right now. And sometimes I'll joke around when I'm talking to organizations, teams, or athletes. I say, look, if we steal you away to our mountain, our secret mountain training center, you know, for even six weeks, every bit of testing data you have right now is irrelevant because we will literally change you as an organism and athlete. And, and, and that is very true. The testing gets really, really important though, when it gives you the direction you talked about. So maybe in a final, you know, maybe just closing up the conversation here, um, when people are thinking about testing, um, how do you go about determining determining what to test? I mean, obviously you have to consult with experts, but um, that big question of what to test has changed so much. Even even recently in the last six months, we're reevaluating some of the, well, virtually all the testing we're doing right now because there's new technologies that are just giving us such cool data on our athletes. Yeah, for, for us, our specialty or our focus is on the kinematics, it's on the movement. And I think we're starting to get into more of the, the neural side and the brain stuff and the awareness stuff. That's kind of our path. And you know, for, for us in an ideal world, we would look at like the blood work, the physiology aspect. We would look at the mental side. We would look at like how the, the athlete handles stress. I think for us, and I can't reveal too much about a project we're working on in terms of just like in-game, in terms of like looking at kinematics and how they're affected by stress. Uh, I think to, to me, that's a huge role that hasn't been touched in sport. 
our focus has always been, uh, our niche has been on the, the more of the kinematic side. So um, for that, I agree with you. I think the combines don't do a great job. And I think the proof's in the pudding in terms of just like it, its ability to, uh, to, to kind of predict uh, uh, more of the middle ground. You know, like everybody, like the one, two, three players are always going to be the one, two, three players. Yeah. Uh, so for us, like looking at like what really defines, I think going back to what we were talking about before is what really defines an athlete, what really defines athleticism. I think that's going to be a huge component moving forward. And I think that the thing for me is, is like when we're dealing with a sport, we should be looking at the kinematics of an athlete in the sport. Uh, so, you know, why am I showing a hockey, you know, and on a side note, a lot of the athletes are prepping for the combine, doing the test. So they're getting good at the test. <clears throat> so they're faking the test out because they've been training, you know, front squat for the last like six yeah, months. Yeah, totally. So it's a bit, of a, it's a bit of a biased test uh, because they know that they know that they know the questions for the test before. It's like imagine going to high school and being like, you know, the the, the, the test questions. Well, obviously you're going to study the test questions, or else you know you're kind of a fool. So for us, it's about like if I'm dealing with a hockey player, then I want to see them skate, and like we're doing 3D testing on on ice. If we're dealing with a baseball player, then I want them under 3D. I want the 3D pitching or 3D hitting and be able to like really hone in on like what the potential is. What are the kinematic sequences of the athlete? Or is the athlete leaking energy? How is the athlete leaking energy? And then how is their mental component dealing with that when they're stressed? Like to me, it, it really never made sense. Like I was, it's the same thing as when I was a chiropractic student sitting in, in a classroom and, a, and an orthopedic teacher would say like, when I raise my arm out and, and push down, it tells me if I have like this, you know, this condition, it's just like, well, does it? And to me, I asked the same question. Like if I have a hockey player and he's in like a gym and he's being asked to do X, Y, Z, does that translate to what I'm seeing on the ice? And, and if it doesn't, then why are we doing that test? And if so, like, you know, our mindset, like we have to be the, the responsible thing when dealing with elite athletes is we have to be valued. We have to be um, cognizant of their time and be extraordinarily efficient. And efficiency is the key. So we have this amount of block of time with an athlete. If we have an hour and a half with an athlete in here, we make sure that every minute is efficient and to be like the nth degree to like help them the most. And for us on the testing side, we think the same thing. We want every test to have purpose, meaning, and, a, and an application. So when I see these tests and combines of, of different sports, I see it as inefficient. Like we're taking in all this data and does it really matter? Does it really have a predicted value? And if it doesn't, then why are we doing it? And if so, then why are we replacing with something we leave? Right. Like, why are we looking? Why are we looking at quarterbacks throw under three D? Like, why are we looking at their slot angles? Why are we looking at their drop back? Why are we looking at like kind of like what their what their movement sequence looks like? It's 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 something where like you could tell so much more by actually like using like I'm not saying just tech. Like using other things that maybe are outside the box and get people out of their comfort zone a little bit, that would give so much more insight into the sport. Well, it makes so much sense. And the cool thing is the technology's there right now and it's only going to get better. So really, really exciting times. Carm, listen, fantastic conversation. We're going to have to revisit this. I know our audience is going to really, really appreciate this conversation because we're testing six, seven, yeah. eight-year-olds, as crazy as that is. And that's a conversation for another day. But for our athletes who are entering the high-performance pathways and who are chasing down a dream, this is a really, really important conversation because not only are we able now to um, test things we haven't been able to test before and incredibly with incredible accuracy 
It's giving us incredible feedback and direction on how to help an athlete tap into their potential. Carm, listen, thanks so much for this conversation today. Oh, anytime. My pleasure, Jeff. Okay, that was great. That was exactly what I was hoping to get out of that conversation. What a great perspective on athlete testing and evaluations. Because let's face it, it's happening at every single level of sport. At the highest levels, the smallest data point, if it's useful and if it can be applied in the real world, can change the performance trajectory of an athlete. It can also help avoid injury, which is one of our top priorities in all of our programming. At the youth levels of sport, we can use data to help guide development of individual players. Unfortunately, it's being used to evaluate and even predict future performance in sport, which is absolutely crazy because the data collected from athlete testing just cannot predict future talent. Heck, it rarely, if ever, predicts current potential inside of sport, leave alone future. It's kind of along the lines of talent and talent identification. We are terrible at it, absolutely horrific. And testing does not help us in that regard at all. So if you are testing at the youth levels, let's just make sure the context is right. It should be used to help guide the development of your athletes and help prevent injuries. And in order to ensure that your testing protocols are relevant and useful, Simply ask yourself these questions before you begin. When should you test? What should you test? How do you apply the data you collect? And maybe most important, as we mentioned, how should you present the testing information to your athletes? I rarely show our athletes any of the numbers we get from testing, unless it's on a test retest, when we're comparing them to themselves or their past selves, when they've made unbelievable gains, we'll show them some of those numbers, but we'll never show them a number that indicates a problem area. What we do is we keep that data to ourselves and we just present opportunities to our athletes. Hey, here's an area we need to work on in order to get you to the next level. And we would describe that based on the testing information that we have. Trust me, it is way, way more effective than showing them their testing data. And especially if you're comparing it or if they're comparing it to their teammates or their peers. It can be a dangerous game to play. If your athletes start focusing more on the numbers or if they're concerned or stressed about the numbers, it can obliterate their in-sport performance. So be very, very conscious of that. Having data just to have data can be a terrible waste of resources and time. However, collecting data that you can apply to help guide injury prevention and performance in sport, now you have something. And it can be a powerful game changer when you think like an athlete. I'm Jeff Kershell. I want to thank Dr. Carmen Felice for joining us today. Check out their great work at myperformancelab.com. And as always, I want to thank you for sitting in. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, or if you have a topic you'd like us to investigate, write to me, info at jeffkershell.com. We answer every message that we get. The Crush Performance Podcast is recorded right here in the Crush Studios. Our distribution partner is Radio Influence Digital Media. Website and educational material produced and directed by Debbie Kershell, Miss Crusher. Theme music, graphics, and video design by Noah Alexin at Nolexin Visual and Sound. 
And this is season 18 of Crush Performance. Get the Crush archives and subscribe to the show at jeffkershell.com. And stay tuned for the launch of our video series. It's coming this fall on YouTube. Have a great week, everyone. And we'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance.